This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Elam. Join Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and me for the Messy Spirituality Podcast, where we try to empower your spiritual evolution with honest conversation about how to be a better human, taking a critical look at toxic Bible stories, and look behind the headlines for growth opportunities underlying current events. Hey, it's a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering Southern Baptist preacher. What could possibly go wrong? Check out the Messy Spirituality Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Oh, my goodness. After the semi-brutal, difficult, challenging church trauma series, we are now moving into something a little more fun and light. This is our What If series, and in this episode, our first one, we're going to talk about... Yay! We get to talk about aliens. I can't wait. But uh, anyway, let's do some introductions quickly so we can jump into that. Uh, my name is Keith Giles. I am the author of the seven-part Jesus Un series on deconstruction, reconstruction, and the recently released Solo Mysterium, celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything. And I am joined by my amazing, out-of-this-world co-hosts, uh, Shonda, December, uh, sometimes Matt, and Katie. Say hello. Hey, everyone. This is Katie. Uh, what what if aliens are real? And I'm who is the alien among us? This is like one of my favorite things to talk about. I'm a sci-fi uh, geek, nerd, love all of this. Uh, I'm the founder of The Metaphysical Christian, where sometimes aliens do come up. And that's a Facebook group, by the way. And yeah, that's it. Happy to be here. Hey, y'all. It's December Rose, your resident happy black chick and author of the church can go to hell because it can and it might if it don't get right. And so we're going to be talking about aliens. I don't even know what I'm going to say. Y'all just stay tuned because I don't know what's got to go down. I really don't. Uh, so my name is Shonda. I'm the author of Liberating Love, which is a devotional for the rest of us. And I date, I'm dating a Sagittarius, so I have proof that aliens are real. That's really my main contribution to this conversation. Well, that would make me an alien. I did not know. I'm saying, I mean, if you've heard people hear it, um, yeah. If you've heard people <laughs> say it, that's what they were talking about. Oh, finding more and more out about myself every day. I'm Matt DiStefano, the fifth and final host slash producer and excited for another episode. All right. Well, I hope, I hope y'all la- liked last week's Stone Thoughts with Matt. I tried to keep it a little shorter this time. So let's, let's hear from Stone Matt here. You know, I don't think I'd want to know the future, especially as a kid. Like imagine knowing that when your mom or dad puts you down one time after picking you up, that that would be the last time they pick you up. You would lose your shit if you knew. (laughs) Well, okay. I kind of lost the end of it, but... um, it's like kind of a cliffhanger. It's very tragic. <laughs> like, it's kind of sad. That, that kind of made me sad. I feel sad now. I was all happy. Not all trips are happy trips. I know. It's not always good. You got to face the shadow side here. 
Because <laughs> now, you know, suddenly I can't help but I'm trying to think like, when was the last time my mom picked me up and put me down? Like, oh God, that's really depressing. <laughs> oh man. So, so this is the reason why you don't want to know the future. That's, I, I think that was how it started. Maybe I did know. See, this is the thing. I don't, because I don't remember the event. Maybe somehow as a child, I did know that that was the last time. And maybe I did throw a big fit. I don't know. I just can't remember. I blocked it out. I don't know. I'm all, I'm all for exploring and experiencing and discovering the future. I don't think, I think if we knew it, what the future was, we would do things to try to change it like they do in movies. And then it wouldn't work. It worked for like that moment. Then it breaks something else later. And so, yeah, I just, we just go and live on the timeline that you have established until we run into these mm. damn aliens later. <laughs> and there, there could be time travel with the aliens, totally. And so right. many possibilities are open. Have any of you seen the um, South Korean show Hellbound? Mm-mm. No. So I'm not going to ruin anything. I'm just going to tell you the basic premise. This is in every episode. But a angel, being, demon, something appears to people and it will tell them in a very scary voice, so-and-so, you have... Um, you are, you will die on whatever date and whatever time, sometimes 10 seconds in the future, sometimes years Whoa. in the future, and you are bound to hell. And so oh. it's about what arises after that in society, <laughs> which is my favorite kind of dystopian, unpleasant thing. And, uh, you know, people do not do well knowing the date of their death. Yeah. In this show, as you can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Wow. That's creepy. <laughs> that is creepy. That's pretty heavy stone thoughts. I just yeah. wasn't expecting it to be so depressing. I still haven't come back from it. <laughs> I have nothing yeah, else covered. to contribute. That was just, that was a bad trip, man. And I'm not sure why you had to yeah. share it with us. That was all over there in counseling. Trying to go to your mom and insist that she pick you up. Pick me up. It's not the last time. <laughs> yes, it won't be the last time. <sighs> so, uh, well, actually, one of the things, I'll, I'll throw this monkey wrench in. Um, one of the things that I get quite a lot from uh, from the peanut gallery out there in, uh, in cyberspace is uh, they don't like the kind of woo-woo metaphysical things I do because it's engaging in fortune telling and God has told us oh, not to engage in oh. fortune telling because that is knowing the future and we can't know the future. This misunderstands like pretty much everything that I do study, which is not about knowing the future, which is good luck. Uh, good luck with that. But you know, I find that do, a lot of Christians do think that the future is written in stone. Yes, that it's inevitable that like God has a plan and that plan is coming to fruition exactly as it's supposed to be. So I'm kind of curious, what do we think about that? Wait, were you just doing a long range pun? Because you just said that Christians think that some Christians think that things are set in stone and you're tying it to our stoned thoughts. Stone thoughts. Not that smart today. That was unconscious. I'll take, but I can take the credit. Sure, thanks. Accidental pun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of where I was going with it too, because I thought, because it kind of does open up another, the only way to know the future would be really technically if you were on a timeline that was predetermined and then that's how Mm -hmm. you would know, right? So yeah, you have the, you either believe, right, that, that yes, God has preordained everything that will ever happen in the, in the entire universe. So that therefore your future is, is already known or you're like, Thomas J. Ord and Greg Boyd and some of those guys, open theists who say God doesn't know the future because it hasn't happened yet. And, uh, it's still being written and it's, and everybody has complete free will 
And, um, but see, you also didn't have the other thing about multiple realities and multiple timelines, right? So at every, at every point, you could do this or you could do that. And in the quantum realm, you have done both or all three or however many options there are. And there are versions of you right now on other timelines who have made different decisions. I kind of go, I kind of, I lean that way. Actually, I lean more in the multiple universe, multiple reality, quantum side of things. I do think that the future is, there is no single future that is pre-written. There are multiple futures that are all playing out concurrently. Another annoying aspect of this is that some quantum physicists believe that the reality you're in is absolutely predetermined because there's all these other dimensions where every other reality is happening. And so actually, we don't have free will. I don't really believe that, but I don't know the science of it. No, that's interesting. Okay, that's an interesting way of approaching the multiple realities thing, right? Because if there are multiple realities and they're all they're all equally possible and they all equally exist, then you're right. The, another way of looking at it is that the one you're on now is the one that you have already chosen and you have to play it out. See, I'm not convinced by that because if I had choice, I would be in the alternate timeline where I ended up with Jason Momoa and Lenny Kravitz instead of yeah. Lisa Bonet. Or Lisa Bonet can be part of it too. I'm fine with that also. Sure. <laughs> so if there's choice in the matter, why would this be the one I was on? That's all I want. Right. I want to yeah. go back. Yeah, I want to go back and make different choices just yeah. so I can end up on a better time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still hung up on the Jason Momoa and Lenny Kravitz thing now. So thanks. I'm That's just a great saying. way to conclude this. <laughs> with, with Lisa Bonet. And yeah. Lisa Bonet. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm open to all of it. Bring it, bring it in. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she used to stick around. <laughs> Speaking of Jason Momoa, Lenny Kravitz, Aliens, Parallel Dimensions, and Lisa Bonet, we have a wonderful <laughs> Heretic of the Week for everyone. Uh, I think he will measure up on, on all regards to all of these famous people we have just put him in the timeline with in this dimension or in any other. So we are giving you our wonderful Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. My name is Jason Elam, and I am a heretic. Hi, Jason. Hey, everybody. Oh, Jason, so good to have you here, my friend. This has been, this is great. I'm usually on your podcast. Now <laughs> you're, on, you're on my podcast. Yes, about every other week. About half <laughs> the episodes of the Messy Spirituality Podcast are Keith Giles guesting. Yeah, I'm sure you're getting complaints about that after a while. Like, Come on, there are other people. No, those are some of our highest rated episodes, man. What are you sure, talking sure. about? Well, uh, Jason, as always, we have to ask you the question, why in the world would anybody call you a heretic? Well, it all started when I picked up this Matthew J. DiStefano book. <laughs> yep, that'll do it. I'll take a bow. From the blood of a... Is it, is it really? Well, that was very early in my process, yeah. Right, I apologize. Uh, I guess it really started when we shut down our Sunday morning service at the church where I was pastor to open a free food market for our neighbors in need. In a, this was in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. And so people just didn't understand it. And the further we got away from traditional Christian practice on Sunday morning, uh, the more I started to believe in a God who loved and accepted everybody exactly as they are with no limitations. And, you know, God is love and there is no but. Yeah. And uh, that'll ruffle some feathers in the Bible Belt. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how it'll ruffle feathers, even though, like, biblically speaking, it doesn't say God is love, but it just mm. says God is love. Right. Yeah. 
I think that just testifies to the filters that we all hear scripture through, right? We think we know what it means. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a mess. And we project our, our personalities, our preferences, our ideologies, our culture. We project all of that onto the scripture. Yeah. And then we try absolutely. to make that the, the word, the quote, word of God. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was thinking last night about how we, we get the God we deserve, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the God who's just as hateful and judgmental and uh, as we are, right? And oh, yeah. moralistic and legalistic. And so I, I bought into that God for a long time. You know, I, I came to Jesus at a children's revival in a Nazarene church back in the early 80s and heard a gospel about not wanting to go to hell when you die. Right. I, I would have run down that aisle. I would have prayed anything that guy told me to pray. <laughs> I was terrified. I mean, you're yeah. talking about a little kid who used to have nightmares because I'd heard so much of the gospel in the churches that I grew up in. You used to have nightmares of a hand coming from under the bed and grabbing me and pulling me under to hell. Oh, man. And this is how ingrained that was in my mind. You know, the only thing that stopped those nightmares was my dad praying for me before I went to sleep. I was so brainwashed by the whole fear thing that it absolutely, uh, it, it absolutely monopolized my life. And my whole Christian experience was a response to fear. Yeah, man. I wonder how many, I wonder for how many people that is their testimony. That's their reality in the church. Yeah. And I was going to say, I, I know a lot of people. I'm, I'm, I'm more and more, I'm hearing people share that, you know, that kind of trauma. That, that story, it's either, it's either, either, um, hell or, uh, the rapture thing or combination of those two things. Like, I mean, I remember as a kid not being able to sleep at night or waking up in the middle of the night and being afraid that the rapture had happened and I was left behind, right? And so, your parents were gone and yeah. you were abandoned. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah. And, and so many people grow up with that. And I know adults that still struggle with that stuff, you know? It's, uh, it's horrible. It just, it screws people up so bad. We don't even know uh, how we're messing people up. Right. And so many people now, when you start to question the reality, question the idea of hell, what's, what's their first response? Well, why would you follow Jesus if there's no hell? It just <laughs> right. tells you how centered the Christian experience, the modern American Christian experience anyway, is around fear of hell. I mean, the reality is most of us would have never been Christians if it wasn't for the threat of hell. And I think that says something about the faith that we bought into. Well, and, it, and doesn't it diminish Jesus? Like if Jesus yeah. is worth anything, Jesus can stand on Jesus's own two feet. If there's an eternal ultimatum, then it's like, well, what is it about this guy that's not good enough just to, just to fall? If he's really right. Lord, Lord, Savior, all the things we say about him, you, you, it should just be self-evident why you would follow this person. And if it's attached to something like that, then that makes me question who your Jesus is. Yeah, it's almost like, I, I, I bet you could do this. I mean, it would be cruel, but I mean, I bet you could get like a handful of like five-year-old kids and set them down together and tell them that if they don't worship Gumby, they're all going to be tortured for the for eternity. They will become the biggest Gumby fans, and, and they don't even have to know who Gumby is. And it's nothing to do with Gumby. It's more about oh, I don't want to be tortured for eternity, right? And that's that's like you're saying, Matt. You could just trade out Jesus for anything. Just make it. Just put anything in there. It's not about how good Jesus is. It's about that thing 
that is, you know, the, the alternative, which is eternal torment. It's horrible. Yeah. I, I came across a, a tweet earlier this week, or it might have been last week, and someone posted, someone who is not Christian described their general experience with white evangelicals as people who don't have any questions. I immediately knew what they meant, and I'm going to think about that statement a long time. This not this is not a white or black thing, but that part that people that don't have any questions that <laughs> like why wouldn't you question? You know, you're just being told, you're being indoctrinated. This stuff is just being pounded into your mind and your psyche. And where is the question? And then if you ask the question, well, I guess you're a heretic or demonic or whatever they want to call you. Yeah, we we've really bought into the sin of certainty, right? Very true. So, uh, Jason, I got a question for you. How did you get from where you were to where you are now? What was that journey like? How did you arrive here today? All right. Well, I was a pastor, um, Southern Baptist, the non-denominational, for about 20 years. And one day I was at the gym, walking around the track, trying to get you know less fat than I currently was. And I was listening to a podcast featuring Brad Jerzak talking to Jonathan Martin on the old Son of a Preacher Man podcast. And when I got on the track that day, I believed in a God who sent people to hell, especially our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. When I got off the track, I didn't believe that anymore. I mean, I'm just listening to that conversation about the love of God and how the fire mentioned in the Gospels is not burning fire that hurts us, but it's fire that refines us. It's the love of God literally loving the hell out of us. And it set me free. I mean, I started to believe in a great big God who had great big dreams for the world. And that's the Jesus that I'm crazy about to this day. I mean, the, the term Christian is such a loaded term in our culture, but I am absolutely captivated by Jesus and the message of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know how to live all that because everything that I thought I knew was wrong. And uh, you were talking a minute ago, December, about certainty and how we've all bought into, you know, you just going to heaven when you die is all based on what you believe. And therefore, you can't have any questions because doubt is the enemy. Well, I found the exact opposite to be true. That doubt is our friend. Doubt leads us to uh, new experiences with God and, and a whole new world. And so that's what I'm sorting through right now. Um, my biggest issue coming through the whole deconstruction, spiritual evolution, whatever you want to call it, is I had parented my kids in the purity culture that I was raised in. We had a ton of rules. We were very legalistic in our parenting approach. We thought our, our fear of what could happen with our kids dictated our parenting style. And so after deconstruction, I was left with a question. How do I parent now that I don't believe in a God who controls me anymore? Oh, man, that uh, is so true. And I, I guess that probably leads us into our, we should probably ask about or the book. Look at this. Look at this guy, like a pro. He's setting it up like he's, he's basically yeah. going to like, hey, ask the next question about, yeah. about a book maybe that you might be putting together about parenting. It almost seems like there should be a book, Jason, <laughs> and that, that someone somewhere should, I don't know, and, and maybe if they don't write a book themselves, maybe they could just get like, you know, 10 or 12 of their friends to, um, to maybe each of them could contribute a chapter to a book about parenting. 
from a deconstructed, maybe like parenting deconstructed, you know, from a, from a deconstructed angle. I mean, what do you think? What do you think about that idea? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what happened. Um, you know, I read the awesome book, uh, Parenting Forward by Cindy Wayne Grant, a fantastic book. Um, but it's a really short little book, right? And I read it and I needed more. I needed practical application. I needed to see it from a variety of different exp- experiences because I've been all these different types of Christian in my life and didn't know how to parent out of freedom and out of love and out of grace. And I had to admit that I didn't know the answer. You've heard the expression, write the book that you wish existed? Yes, well, that's what I wanted to do. But then I sat out and realized I didn't have those answers. And so I reached out to a whole bunch of friends that I love and respect, uh, including all three of you. And you all were generous enough to contribute a chapter to Parenting Deconstructed. And I'm so thrilled with the result. Yeah, it was just such a wonderful idea. I remember when you approached me about the, you know, the idea to do it. And it is really needed. I think when I think about the deconstruction space, yeah, it seems like there just isn't a lot about parenting, not a lot. And yet, as you said, it seems to be such an uh, necessary and important thing. I mean, in Mike and with Wendy and I, our boys are already grown, and the damage we did is done. <laughs> so you know, they they moved out of the house, and and since then, we have done a lot of apologizing and you know, explaining. Well, you know, we made mistakes, and here's why. Because at the time, we believed this, but we don't anymore. And, and um, so that's kind of, Wendy and I, uh, at this point, that's kind of what we're doing is trying to go back and heal some some of those mistakes and things. But for people that are, you know, they still have small children or they still have kids who live at home um, and they're going through their deconstruction, this is a big deal. I mean, this is a, this is a, a very tough nut to crack for them. And, and because I think, you know, so much of the way we typically parent is the way we were parented, right? You can't help, but... I mean, that's what, that was my model, uh, was my dad. You know, when I think about being a father, I think, well, what would my dad have done? How, how did my dad parent me? And then that's what I did, which was, that was my first mistake. Um, so you kind of need, you need new role models and you need, you definitely need a book like this from a variety of people. I think it's helpful to hear different perspectives on that. Um, so when, when you, you, you edited this, you pulled all this together. Can you give us an idea of the kinds of things that people talked about and, um, what people can expect from a book like this? I think what was so great about getting input from so many different people is we have all these different perspectives, right? We've got folks who say, you know what, my kids are grown, like you were just saying. And maybe what I can best offer to the conversation is here's how to apologize to your kids when you know you've blown it. But then we've also got somebody like December Rose who offers a completely different perspective, which I loved uh, because I think I was so frustrated and fed up with religion that post-deconstruction that I just didn't want my kids to have anything to do with most of what is the church today. But then you've got December Rose at the end of her chapter saying, you know what? Kids deserve freedom and they can choose for themselves. And, you know, if it's not obviously hurting them, then maybe we give them the leeway to make some of those decisions for themselves, which is my heart, right? It's all about freedom and letting them lead as young as possible so that they can grow into these people who flourish and succeed and have a healthy spirituality of their own. Um, Don't tell him, but Matt DeStefano's chapter is probably one of my favorites just because he he just speaks so honestly and so real about what parenting 
uh, involves. And, you know, he's, he's still got a, a child who's, who's um, not fully grown. And um, he's learning all these lessons as he goes. And so uh, he brought a lot to the conversation. Mark Karras wrote a chapter about what to do when your spouse isn't with you. Your deconstruction. Oh, that's a big one. And that is, that is a tough one. And I know lots of uh, couples where one, like when they got married, they were both like, you know, hardcore evangelicals, but then, the one, you know, then, then they have kids and then one of them, but not the other one starts to deconstruct. And that creates so much tension in the marriage and certainly in the ways you parent, right? Do you take the kids to church or do you don't take the kids to church? Do you teach them about hell or do you let them decide for themselves? You give them both things. And, and yeah, that's a big one. Absolutely. I know for me, and thank you, just thank you for allowing me to contribute uh, to this. I had not given any thought to parenting through deconstruction until I was invited to add a chapter. So um, I, I, I enjoyed writing it. I think it helped walk me through my uh, journey as a parent that's going through it. And um, for me, it was one of those things where the only pastor my children had known is me. I was pastoring when I got pregnant with my daughter. I was pastoring when I got pregnant with my son. And I'm the only really the, the pastor that they've known. And my what I the the the, the uh, realization that I had concerning them was my experience is not theirs. So I, um, of course, I raised them up in the faith and all this kind of thing like that. But they they didn't experience the traumas that I experienced. And I think as parents, it's just my personal opinion we have to be careful that we don't project our trauma onto our children. Just because there's, just because there's a, a traumatic experience that you had because you are disgruntled or, uh, you know, disaffected or whatever the case is, cons- discouraged, what, whatever, it, whatever your dis is, whatever your diss track is against the church, whatever your, whatever your beef is, you know, we really have to make sure that we're not, jading our children against the faith either is one thing not to not to corral them and control them and and make them kneel to the bible and christianity and all that kind of stuff but also we can't let that pendulum swing so far back to the other side that we prevent them from believing or we prevent them from having faith and we're protecting them almost to a point of their own to the to the to the point that it's detrimental and we make them have anxiety or be apprehensive about believing. I think there has to be some balance there too. So, you know, that was the perspective I was coming from as a parent when my children were asking me about going to church because that had been part of their life ever since they they were literally popped out on the pew with their mama being a pastor. And I had just stopped cold turkey and they couldn't figure that out. And so I figured there had to be some kind of transition there. And I had to let, I think my statement was let them believe. They not make them believe, but let them believe if that's what they want to do. I love that perspective. I think that's so important. Uh, I think our tendency in deconstruction is to switch from one extreme to the other, right? Where we go from that, that pendulum swing, right? We, we go from that where you're, uh, you're terrified of sin and terrified of the rapture and terrified of church and, and all the abuse that takes place. Um, you grow up in it terrified you're going to lose your salvation. And then you go to the opposite extreme of, I'm terrified to let my kids anywhere near it. And they're both fear motivated. And fear is never going to lead us to freedom. But you know, at the same time, 
you know, I don't know, what do you think about, I mean, I guess I kind of can guess, but, you know, one thing though that gives me hope um, when I, especially when I talk to couples, if they're both deconstructing at the same time, or, you know, roughly the same way, um, and they have younger kids who are still at home, what gives me hope though is for those generations of kids who won't grow up believing that God is wrathful, that God is angry, that they that they could go to hell, that if they wake up in the middle of the night, they don't have this terror that they've been left behind. Like that to me is very positive. You know, I mean, whatever all the other kind of struggles and and issues might be, I mean, I think it's a really a good thing that there could be kids who grow up in a home where that those, that kind of fear isn't something that's used to control them or manipulate them. And and, and that's what I'm looking forward to is a generation like that. Yeah, I mean, I think all the time about what my life could be like if I only grew up believing in a God who loved me without all the other stuff. But here's what's so cool about our opportunity as parents. We can start today projecting that reality to our kids, no matter how old they are. And that love transforms. That love sets free. That love says, I am forever in your corner, no matter what you do. And if that's really, you know, some of us believe in God, some don't. But if that's the God you believe in, show that to your kids. Be that to them. I love it. Yeah, that's what a lot of people ask me, you know, what do you do about raising your kid? Because there is something to the, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but there is something to the fact that when you're an evangelical, you kind of know how to parent. You might not do it well all the time, but you know... Uh, train them up in the Lord, do all these things, do the X, Y, and Z. Uh, but we, when you deconstruct and you don't have, a, maybe you deconstruct and you don't have a church community, well, then what is your, how are you going to, what, what's kind of the parameters? And it's like, well, there are none. So then it's like, well, what do you do? Well, I don't have the language. I just try to do whatever it is I'm called to do, to love, to be empathetic, to be there for them, to not have all the answers, to apologize when needed. Freedom and liberation is very scary at first, and you're kind of you're off a tether. Once you get used to it, it's fantastic. But at first, it's kind of terrifying because it's like you're free to fail, you're free to fuck up, and it's like it's 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 really scary. But on the other side of that, it's like, well, forget the language, just be the embodiment of love, and I think then God, <laughs> Jesus. Keith, while he sneezes, um, <laughs> hey, right? They're going to they're say you're on the right. They're going to say you're on the right track. <laughs> that was a whole bar right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't mean to. <laughs> God, Jesus, Keith, while he sneezes. sneezes there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, because when we were growing up in the church, right, we were taught that you know the law of God, Ten Commandments, three hundred sixteen, whatever, six hundred thirteen, whatever commandments were. Uh, we, those were the guardrails, right? Those were the parameters right. that kept us safe. And so we believe that our parenting style or our life in the church or our faith or our Bible reading or our devotion is what's going to keep our children and ourselves from a train wreck. But that doesn't work that way. I mean, how many of us tried to train up our kids in the way they should go? And then when they got older, they made choices away from what we thought was, you know, God's plan for them. It happens all the time. And parents end up with a load of guilt. Kids end up with a load of guilt. And um, 
I just, I just think there's something powerful about saying to your kid, I'm going to love you no matter what you do. And, and the latest part is what I'm learning, you know, reading these chapters of this book, learning to trust your kids without fear, knowing they, they're going to make choices you wouldn't make for them. But that's okay because the fact that you trust them means more than anything else. Yeah, that is so powerful. And, and I think, again, I, you know, uh, sadly, like I said, you know, Wendy and I, or I should speak for myself, I have a lot of regrets uh, when I look back over, over the, some of the ways that I, that I raised my kids. And I, so I feel like, man, if I ever have grandkids, I'm going to be so much better at this uh, because I think I've learned so much more from the mistakes that I made. But yeah, like you said, going forward, just modeling that, that simple thing of like, whoever you are, whatever you decide, whatever you believe or don't believe, whatever you do with your life, it doesn't, it, you know, I love you 100% no matter what. That my love for you, my support for you, my belief in you will never, ever change. Nothing will ever change that. It's really beautiful. And it's very powerful, you know, and I, I wish I had started off like that. Unfortunately, my theology wouldn't allow me to do that. But, you know, I guess we, we learn and we grow. And I'm hopeful that this book, Jason, uh, is going to help those parents that are kind of beginning their deconstruction journey and are looking for something, looking for a resource that really does help them navigate this journey. And it sounds like it's a wonderful book. And there's some great stuff in there. So thank you for pulling that together. Absolutely. And just can I just mention the contributors really quick? Yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Keith Giles, Matt Giustefano, December Rose, obviously. John Turney, Derek Day, Ben DeLong, Carl and Laura Forehand, Mark Karras, Elizabeth and Christopher Aker, Phil Drysdale, Jonathan Puddle wrote an incredible chapter. So full of love and compassion. I love it. Joshua Lawson is in the book who you guys have had on not too long ago. Um, it's going to release November 17th. I'm really excited about it. It's called Parenting Deconstructed. Awesome. So good. Good, good stuff. And Jason, um, I guess we're wrapping up here. So where can people find out more about you and what you're all about? Because we talked a little bit about your, you and your background and this book, but you have so much more going on. There are many, many moods of Jason, many, many different phases and layers to you, like, a, like an onion. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself quickly and where people can follow you and find you in other places. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you can find pretty much anything to do with me at messyspirituality.org. That's the home of the messy spirituality podcast. We've been doing it for about three years recently, uh, got joined by two new co-hosts and we joined the choir cast podcasting network, which we love and are so grateful for. Kyle Butler is one of our co-hosts and Lola Robbins, who considers herself a bisexual hairdresser who escaped a cult. So she is a very interesting individual and brings a wonderful perspective to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. And you guys know Kyle Butler. He's awesome. And so that's the podcast and we do a lot, but it's all based there at messyspirituality.org. And you can find social media there as well. Yeah, well, well, so excited to have you as part of the Choircast family uh, network. And uh, I, I love the changes you're making to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, too, at bringing on uh, Kyle and Lola. Very, very cool. So, yeah, everybody, go check it out. Check out what Jason's doing over there in the Messy Spirituality Podcast. And uh, check out this book when it comes out. Thank you, guys. I just want to say that the Harry Tech Happy Hour, this is the granddaddy of all the other deconstruction podcasts that, that we all know about. All of our friends have podcasts, right? But this was the one 
that set the tone for the conversation. And we're all just living in the wake of what you guys have been doing for a long time. So I just want to say thank you because you guys have been ripping the conversation wide open for years. And we're so grateful for you and this whole community that has sprung up around you guys. So thank you very much. Oh, I'm blushing. Thank you, Jason, for coming on. Thanks, Jason. Love you, man. Love you. Oh, wow. Thanks so much, Jason. Jason's one of my favorite people. Love him so much. And um, if you haven't checked out his the, the book that he he and his wife, Brandy, e- edited, and that some of us here actually contributed to, right? December? That's right. Matt, that's right. Matt, you just, you just you split something in that, right? Yep. Is that it? Just the three of us? Yeah. I, right after, it was right after my, because mine was the best one, and then, then it was yours, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but it's a book called uh, Deconstructed Parenting. Um, great book. Or, or, or some people call it parenting deconstructed. Yes. Some uh, people, like the folks who put it on the cover of the book. <laughs> yeah. Like the publishers, <laughs> like the, like the publishers. Uh, like everywhere which, you get your books. All of I, that. I am, the, I am one of the publishers anyway. <laughs> True. Yeah. Well, but anyway, that book is great and you should check it out. Some really great things, especially if you are a parent or you plan to be a parent one day. Um, it's got some great, great chapters in there. So yeah, go check that out. Hey, if you ain't got nothing else better to do, or if this is the only thing you would like to do, you can go to heretichappyhour.com and take our quiz. You can find out just what kind of heretic are you anyway. Hopefully the good kind. Anyways, go check it out at heretichappyhour.com. I got to say, I took it recently and no one will be surprised. I'm Gandhi. I felt very good about that. That's great. You'll all be shocked that I'm Mary Magdalene. Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. I can't remember who I was now. Maybe I should take Maybe it again. Take Am it I again? allowed to take it twice? Uh-huh. I can't, if I can, the cookies will let me do that. <laughs> Is the donkey from Shrek an option? That might be who I end up being. <laughs> oh no, I'm going to take it and find out. We'll adjust the quiz. And we yes. might have to, I'm not sure that's an option, but we could add that in. That'd be interesting. <laughs> oh man. Well, so I guess it's time to talk about our, uh, our topic. So, so this is our new what if series. And, uh, we decided to start. We, we have, by the way, this what if series is going to be great. We have some great things in the future, just so you know. Uh, it, it won't all be about Sasquatch and aliens and, you know, weird. I mean, some of it might be, but, uh, we have some really interesting questions to, to, uh, explore. But in this one, our first one, we thought, let's just jump straight into what if aliens are real, which I think is a kind of a dumb question because, duh, of course they're real. Uh, but I think what we mean is, what if they are, what if they're here? Like, what if they're on earth? What if, what if we have contact with them already? Or if, what if we did have contact with them? What would happen? And how would that, how would that change your world? So, um, we've got several little ways to different things we want to talk about when it comes to this question about what if aliens are real. But, uh, what do you guys think? I absolutely believe aliens are real. Now, what that reality is as it pertains to those of us here on earth wrapped around in flesh, breathing this breath in the spirit of the Lord, if that's what you believe, I don't know. But there's definitely some interesting things that I've seen in scripture that, that to me point to extraterrestrial life. And, you know, aside from just angels, you know, what we believe in angels and maybe what people describe and believe our angels are actually aliens. Who knows? I don't know. But I think there's a, I think there's definitely, 
I think it would, if this is my personal opinion, I think it would be short-sighted and narrow-minded and very shallow to think that we're the only intelligent life in the whole universe. That there's no other place, no other planet, there's no other nothing. It's just us and we're all and we're it. Because if that's the case, ooh, we, I'm just saying, is this the best God can do? I'm just saying. No, I'm just playing God. You know, he did a great job, especially with me. But I think there <laughs> are uh, aliens out here. Whether they're among us, I don't know. I've met some pretty amazing people that seem to be superhuman, starting with uh, all of y'all that are on this show. So. Maybe we're all a little bit alien. I don't know. But I think we're here. They're here, there, and everywhere, like Dr. Seuss did. He's spoken like a true Sagittarius. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am a Sagittarius, by the way. (laughs) I am an alien on the low. I love it. So I got to say, this is not one that I have spent... This is not one I've spent a ton of time thinking about. I mean, more any more than the average person. What's interesting to me is... About a year ago, NASA said, we need to get away from this binary of, is there life, you know, off of Earth or is there not, right? They were saying the binary isn't helpful. Just for the record, NASA says binaries are often not helpful. Um, And what they said was that they were setting up a seven level scale to help scientists communicate clearly. So like, if you've come across some sort of microbe on a planet and you're like, oh, this could have been something or maybe not, that's level one. And then they go up until like level seven is, you know, um, the person who's hanging out with us uh, and abducting us. Um, So I think that this is, that's not NASA's words, but I think it's fascinating to think, oh, maybe it doesn't need to be in this kind of, are there alien beings like us that we would recognize um, because they parallel us in some way? Or is there more of a spectrum of life off of Earth? I thought that was interesting. So I, I postulate that aliens, yes, are real. I don't think that they're on Earth and I don't think they're in the Bible. So those are my three hot takes. What? You don't so think they're go. in the what? Bible? I don't think they're in the Bible. Tell us okay. more. Wait, tell yes, us who thinks, because there are people who think they, they are. So well, yeah, I mean, like December, December alluded to it, right? So I, this is, it's a question that comes up all the time in my, you know, my groups and in my circles. So yeah, well, I, I, let me hand it over to December 1st, because I don't want to hog the, <laughs> hog, hog the biblical mic. No, I ain't got nothing to say. I'm ready to listen to you. I just said it's possible. <laughs> it's possible that the, the Bible talks about them. I look. I'm not persuaded yet. Either way, either way, I I've had some strange things happen in my life, and I've encountered some strange folks that make you think that they aliens. But it might just be that um, they haven't taken a shower for three months, and they need to go to the dentist, and um, they need to practice better hygiene, and that makes them look, seem, and smell otherworldly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Very> <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So I ain't saying they in the Bible or not. I'm not persuaded yet. But what sayeth thee? What has thee to say about the matter? I, I will say, if you all listen to the uh, listeners, if you listen to the bonus episode, the bonus round and the episode, uh, we'll make sure we put it in the show notes where we talked about aliens and the conspiracy theory mm-hmm. um, series. I actually talked about, like, I did see something once. Um, and I was, I was just talking to my spouse about this the other day. Um, I was not high. I was not stoned. Uh, I'm not particularly prone to seeing things like this. I'm, I'm actually naturally a skeptic. That's why I'm so woo-woo because I'm very skeptical and I have to be pretty, pretty convinced, um, to, to get into something. Um, so I say they're not on earth, but I don't think, like, I don't think there's a conspiracy where aliens are like ruling the government or 
in our everyday lives or anything like that. They are the deep state. The deep state, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, with the Bible, when I get questions about like, well, could this like, pro- pro- you know, especially Ezekiel, the book of Revelation, could these prophets really be describing aliens? But my, so putting on my historical hat here, um, no, they're because that's a premise that they're seeing the future. Most of what prophets are writing about is not the far distant future, it's about their present. So just like sci-fi today talks about our world, our problems today through the lens of a slightly futuristic or near futuristic imagination, the prophets did that too. They're talking about troubles in their times and they're using these fantastical images to communicate those. So actually, I think we do a disservice to the Bible when we see it as a literal template that's talking about the future, that a future that actually hasn't happened here that people think are aliens or spacecraft. Um, and I think we're doing them a disservice because we're actually not evaluating them in their own time and context. We're not asking what was actually troubling them. And so that's, it's a worldview where the Bible must be literal and we have to figure out what the images that are confusing to us now mean in terms of our future, not the prophet's present. That was great. What a great response. Um, but I think in general, so it's funny because like, I'm going to put on my, you, you put on your historical hat, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat. Fun. I, <laughs> because and here I, I see episodes like this episodes like this are scary because you sort of get to expose yourself as like oh the layers here's all the crazy stuff keep believes because I kind I just finished reading this book by a guy named Corso Philip was it Philip Corso anyway his name last name was Corso he worked for the Pentagon and and the book he wrote was disclosing that when he worked at the Pentagon his job was to take artifacts from the Roswell crash and take that technology and work it into private industry. Uh, and he says, this is the reason why we have things like Kevlar, your Intel chips, processors, um, all this kind of stuff, because that technology wasn't, it didn't exist. Night vision was another one, things like that. Anyway, um, so because I, I, t- I think that guy is credible. I also think, um, what's the guy, I think his name, Bob Lazar is, is credible. If you don't know who he is. You'll have fun following him on, go to YouTube and just put in the name Bob Lazar and it'll, the next week you'll be watching videos about him. He's not the one that built the squirrel traps, is he? No, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Bob Lazar is the guy that in the eighties came forward as a whistleblower, said he worked at not Area 51, but a, a separate facility near Area 51, uh, reverse engineering a craft. He says there were like, four or five of them actually, but he was working on one particular UFO uh, that had been that had been recovered and he and a team of other people, engineers, were re- reverse engineering them to try to figure out how to, how they worked. And he was on he was working on propulsion. And in the interview, this is in the 80s, he mentions like, and his story has been consistent ever since. It's ruined his life. He's not made a bunch of money on this. He, he's not got rich doing this actually. Uh, he had he lost he's very consistent. His story has never changed. And, and the fast forward to today and probably everything he has said has since come forward, been revealed that, oh yeah, he was right about that. He was right about this. So, uh, because of that, I think he's right. I do think we have craft. Um, I do think Roswell happened. And therefore I think, yes, of course the Indians are real. And if some of the people that have talked about Roswell are right, in fact, Corso says this in his book that he saw a dead alien, at least, uh, in a coffin. Uh, that was preserved. And, um, so I think they're real. They might be here. 
They might be in connection with our governments. That part I don't know. Um, but I do think they're real. I think they're here. I think uh, the stuff that we're seeing, like the, the, the footage the Navy just released about the little Tic Tac flying video and all that stuff and saying, we don't know what the hell it is. Here's the thing about that, though. I kind of, part of me also wonders if we've had these craft since the 40s and if we've been reverse engineering them since the 80s. I kind of think we might actually have, like, so I think some of those craft that we're seeing, maybe they are our craft. But uh, I think our government likes to pretend, you know, they, they want to keep those things secret. So they were like, oh, we don't know what that is. They're alien-inspired. Alien-inspired crap. Yeah. Because the, the anti-gravity the anti-gravity technology would pretty much end our, the oil industry overnight, you know? Like, why would you use a combustible engine if you could have anti-gravity for pretty much free energy? So anyway. Okay, so this gets to, this gets to the interesting question, right? Because, I mean, in some ways establishing a you know with certainty that aliens exist takes away some of the curiosity we get to have about it like if 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 what you are saying is true that is really sad for me because part of what is fun about considering what does it mean if aliens are real is the possibilities that they will rescue us from the oh right i don't have to not curse they're going to rescue us from the shit storm that we have created <laughs> on this planet right and so like that's part of the fantasy of it that's part of the like what what's possible if we did get to connect with them instead of they're here and they have not rescued us yet, which is a much more just depressing premise to us. So what are the possibilities if aliens are real? What does it mean for us? And I mean, this actually ties to one of Matt's uh, stoned thoughts, right? Which was like, yeah, if what does it mean for our theological uh, existence, right? What does it mean for our relationship with the sacred, with Jesus? Um, who did Jesus die? Oh, well, I'm not even going to finish that sentence. But say it. Say no, it. Say I it. will not. I will not. <laughs> but that's me. part of the question. We have to. We have to ask the question, right? Like, if if there are other alien races, and there, and I think, of course, there are. There have to be, right? So then, you know, so then it, it has all kinds of theological implications about who created life on this planet. Did God create them too? Uh, there's some speculation that aliens created life on this planet, not God. So that would, that would totally radically, you know, change everybody's, but turn everything upside down. Uh, if we're, if we were some kind of genetic experiment, uh, experiment that the aliens have been doing, uh, for thousands of years. Um, so yeah. And then Jesus, like that, like if, if aliens ever showed up, that's what I'd want to talk to them about. I want to, I want to talk to them about their theology and, 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 and even the development, like what did they, you know, what do they used to believe? And then what are some other religions maybe on their planet? Like, I'm really fascinated by the theological implications of contact with aliens. Um, but of course, that's all we can just speculate that. What if they don't have theology? What if that's right. a uniquely human concept? And they're that's like, right. what the hell are you talking about? We've been here. We've been here all the time. Y'all the ones, <clears throat> you guys are the ones that have a beginning and the end. We're like eternal beings. We don't have theology. Right. You have a God that you created so that your life can make sense. We never needed that part of our lives, our existence to make sense. Exactly. It, it made sense. Exactly. <laughs> Man, so, where's that heretic button, sound button when you need it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we say it because I just find that he's like, I want to ask him about that theology. It's funny because we always want to approach even even other cultures, other countries, other ethnicities. Yeah. We always want to approach them for the, from the perspective of where we're coming from and where we're being and who we are and what we're becoming. 
and a lot of those concepts might be foreign or non-existent in 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 their realm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So exactly. if we think about alien culture, we can think about that too. Like, what if you approach and be like, "So, what is your deity? What's your god?" They'd be like, "What?" Right. <laughs> They'd be like, "Oh, you you having stone thoughts? Like like Matt? Is that what that is? That's a stone thought? We don't do that here." What if they? You know what I'm saying? We yeah. are God. <laughs> yeah. So so their the alien perspective on the answers to that question could radically, you know. A change and 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 screw up a lot of people. I could see people like freaking out, jumping off of buildings. You know, like if 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 suddenly it was like, oh, there's no God or whatever. You know, well, a lot of our theology is very naturally human centered, but it's also human centered with humans as being a pinnacle of creation. So I'm kind of curious if aliens were public knowledge, if we were in conversation, however that might look, um, even if it's radio waves or whatever. That, that automatically decenters us from being the center of the universe. I'm curious, what would that do to, you know, what would that do to our concept of God and our relationship with God? And um, I mean, I can imagine responses might be different in evangelical circles versus other, you know, other kinds of religious circles. But I'm curious how that, how that might work. And I know one of, one of my critiques of a um, particular strain of evangelicalism is the exploitation of the earth because like Jesus is coming soon. The earth doesn't really matter. We're all going, you know, the end of the world is coming. And we so created like, to dominate the land, yeah. created to dominate the land. And mm-hmm. so like, would aliens disrupt that story? I actually yeah. fear they would not disrupt that story, but should they disrupt that story? You know, so I'm kind of curious what everyone might think about um, humans not being the center of the universe. I thought Galileo and Copernicus did that already. Not very effectively. <laughs> yeah, but like my but my experience is still filtered by being here on planet Earth. Like I can't go to any any other planet. Like I love all that stuff, but like I'm still essentially a human centered human centric. But when Earth-centric you see that person. those web, when you see those Hubble telescope and Webb telescope, you know, images of this vast, you know, unimaginably huge universe, like. And then have you ever seen the thing where they do the thing like, and you know, you are here. It's this oh, yeah. teensy little dot, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, come on. Of course, <laughs> God did not like create this massive universe and then only, you know, create life uh, on this teensy little dot. Like, it's like so ridiculous. So I don't know. That's my thing. I, I just think that the idea that we're the center of anything is ridiculous. I'd like to imagine if we got to a place where we could communicate with life on other planets, it would offer us a number of lessons for how we have navigated life here and what the other possibilities are and what the consequences are. Because if we did end up encountering multiple forms of life in other places, they've probably navigated similar choices in different ways. I think that would be an interesting, I think that's maybe a more sociological question than a theological one, but gives us options to evaluate our collective ethics, right? Right. That's a good segue into the sociology. Yeah. It. I mean, what do we think about that? What do we think, what would life be like if they did? What would it be like men in black one and two? Hmm. Like there's this rolling around, they come in and out of like customs and immigration centers. <laughs> Like everybody else, or like, would you have like um, biracial, bi intergalactic children, <laughs> or would it be like against the law to be with an alien and you have to go to court? You know, like the U.S. versus Lovey or whatever that was, uh, so that you could be in a relationship with an alien if you wanted to, because you know it's your life. 
love it. What would the alien version of Loving Me, Virginia be? That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm afraid that if aliens were suddenly integrated into our, into our, you know, reality, they would just be another group, another subgroup of people that we would um, marginalize, right? Uh, Sadly, because like we haven't solved that problem with ourselves and our own planet, right? We're, we're so divisive. We are so, gosh, you know, uh, America is such a racially divided and, and, and religiously divided nation and, and, and earth itself is, you know, very divided along the same lines. And if I was an alien, I'd be like, screw that. I ain't going down there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what y'all cooking, but I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why would, why would they want to jump in the middle of that? But then there's also the possibility, you know, there've been people saying, you know, for a long time that, that if aliens showed up, that it might help unify us, that it might give us a, a, another reference point to say, Oh, this is stupid. This is silly. You know, like we should be one humanity and, and, in, and in one humanity relate to, you know, these aliens. I don't know. Who knows? It, it could be something that would help kind of snap us out of it, but, or it would just become something that perpetuated the, the same ideas. I don't know. Depends on the nature of the alien. Yeah, I was going to say that's very much the plot line to Independence Day, isn't it? Right, it unifies us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it unifies us against rather than um, unifies us because we're inspired. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's uh, well, like uh, our producer is reminding us. It's Gerard. It's Gerardian alien ethics, right? We we as humanity unite because we're all united against. We all, we all hate each other, but we all collectively, you know, are against these aliens who are trying to destroy us. So we come together against a common enemy and that's what unites us. So, but of course, I think if that, if that did, that scenario played out, it was sort of like War of the Worlds and humans were going to war against aliens. That, that battle would last about 20 seconds because I think they're like, if aliens are out there, I think they are so far advanced from us they would smoke us they would just be over in a second like they i think they're technologically they would wipe us out like aliens who are advanced enough technologically to come to earth yes yeah. yes yes yeah. yeah yeah i don't think we had you know it'd be it'd be like if if uh if the u.s army rolled into uh and went to war against some little tribe in papua new guinea and they had slingshots and spears and we had drones and you know night vision and uh, all that, like, yeah, that battle would not last very long. So I don't know. And then, uh, yeah, any other thoughts on the sociological thing? Cause there's another, there's another bullet point here we have not talked about really. I mean, the, the one other thing that I think is worth mentioning, did any of you see was, okay, help me out. Was it district 11? Is that the name of the district movie? nine? Oh, district, yeah. nine. district nine. Thank you. Great like, film. Yeah. yeah great yeah. film. Um, just cause we're talking about like the ways in which it could actually exacerbate differences. I mean, I think as long as they have something to offer us, maybe it gives us opportunity. But as soon as they need something, I think it gives, yeah, we, we know how to treat people who need something. Uh, we've got lots of practice with that. Um, yeah. And that's a haunting movie. I found it just a heartbreaking film. And, you know, Katie, like you were saying, a lot of sci-fi is actually about our present moment. So while that's a movie about, you know, aliens, it ends up, being very much about the ways in which we have learned to dehumanize and therefore harm each other. I don't know if you know, um, th- this is getting really, uh, talking about geeky, but Neil, Neil Blomkamp, mm-hmm. who directed that film, 
I don't know if it's still online, but if it is, it's worth looking it up. So District 9 is a film that was based on a short film that he did uh, mm. in South Africa, living in South Africa. But what he did was he took a camera and he went and interviewed real people. In fact, some of that, I think, made it into the, this, into the actual film. Um, and he interviewed them about like some refugees that were living in a camp in, near their town. And, and then he just asked them to talk about how they felt about them. But then he worked it into it as if he was asking questions about the aliens. Wow. And, then, and so what they're responding to is not aliens. That's what's in the document. That's what's in the clip. Yeah. But they are real people responding to how they feel about these immigrants. They don't belong here. We don't like them. No, they, they take all the resources, blah, blah, blah. We want them to go and all that. And, and all that dialogue is literally them responding to other humans that yeah. are living there as refugees. And I think that that's a, a genius way to frame uh, the way he approached it. Because I think I thought that film kind of did show like, yeah, that's probably what we would do. We would treat them the way we treat any other refugees. And it does raise that question of, if this is how we treat each other, why do we think we're going to be better with someone else? It's almost like ancient Christians living in the Roman Empire, writing a story about Babylon with fantastical, oppressive things that are coming to get them. Yeah. Wow. It's almost like that allegory. <laughs> it almost is, you know? Just saying. Huh. <laughs> Strange. <laughs> Well, yeah, another one of the questions that we had, we had maybe thought about was uh, there's, there's this idea, and I've run across this one a lot too, um, the idea that aliens are responsible for some basic human, well, th- for creating humans, like alien DNA, like aliens seeded the earth with DNA or like helped humans evolve more, more rapidly. And like the one I see a lot too is like really aliens built the pyramids or built some of these complicated well, that's ancient different. structures, things like that. A lot um, of people say that about the Mayan civilization. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much like, just as yeah. a little asterisk to that, why is it anytime black and brown folks do something amazing, it gets explained away? That's all I yeah. have to say about that. They could like, have been, but yeah. Exactly. Right. And it's like human, <laughs> like the assumption is that ancient humans. I think this is actually a bias of um, a racial bias and also a modern bias because yeah. only like we're only, the only ones who are technologically sophisticated enough to do sophisticated things. Uh-huh. But we know that ancient people were highly sophisticated. So, yeah. but what would that mean if it's? Um, and Keith, you kind of alluded to this earlier. If we're not seeing God as the creator of us, again, very right. human centric, but this is like alien. Intervention, and this happens a lot in the woo woo crowds that I run in. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of conversation, and then um, I think it happens a lot in religious circles too. So there's a strange overlap there. But like, what if that were true? Like, what would that do for us or against us? Yeah, I think that question right there. Honestly, it's funny. My mom and I were talking about this <laughs> like last week. Uh, like, what if that was? What if aliens showed up? And then what if that's what they said? That, hey, just so you know, we showed up here a million years ago. There were these little, you know, Cro-Magnon Neanderthals running around. We did some genetic experimentation on them. We made them a little smarter. And, uh, you know, we, we, we intervened and that's how you showed up. And we've been, we've been coming back to check on you guys, uh, ever since and, uh, and your development and on blah, blah, blah. And so like, if, if that was revealed and if that was true, I think I know people. I flat out, I know people that would probably kill themselves because it would just destroy their whole world. It would be like, Oh, then God, then the Bible isn't true and God didn't create anything and the aliens did it. And 
So I can't believe anything. Now, I don't think that necessarily would be true. I, my mom was saying that, like, oh, I know people, people would just, you know, they'd kill themselves. They, they, would, they wouldn't be able to handle it. And I was like, well, some people would probably freak out. But I don't think it's necessarily true that if that was revealed, that that means there's no God. Uh, and I guess I just take it from an experiential point of view. Like, I feel like I've had experiences with God. And that, that's non-negotiable. So if anyone showed up and said, well, we, we helped to accelerate human evolution, I'd say, well, thanks. Great. I still have a connection with God. I still believe there's a God. So how we got here is one thing. Whether or not there's a God that I could have an experience with is, is another thing entirely. Um, but I do think, yeah, it would, it would, I think worldwide, it would just be, you know, think about it. Almost every major religion would probably implode. Well, technically, I guess they would have to implode because every premise and foundation for them would be shattered. But I thought about something that you said, like you've had divine, you know, you had encounters with God. I, I also believe that, you know, and this is not, let me just make this clear, make a disclosure. This is not anything that I believe. We just talk about aliens. <laughs> and I'm just saying, you know, it is called the what if It series. is what if. What if. Right. Let me just what? make it clear that what, what I'm if. about to say is not what I believe. I'm just saying, what if? That's what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> so let me make that clear. So what if the experiences that we consider divine or God encounters are also manufactured scheduled, pre-programmed, and, and artificially, you know, created for us, something like the Matrix, where it's like, you know, because, uh, you know, if we came down and we programmed these guys and we changed them and we curated them and we did this and we're tied into all their thoughts and all their thinking, we hear all their prayers. We hear what they think. We hear that. We see what they need. Ooh, and so I'm going to curate an experience. Shit. I'm going to create an experience <laughs> in a dimension that, that gives them an encounter with the God that they believe in and see how do they react to that and how does that shape their faith. And now they believe that God is real because they have this God encounter that we designed for them. Now, listen, I am not saying I believe that. We just talking about what if. That's all we're saying. Okay. My mind just exploded. True. <laughs> I would, if, if that were true, I would have a serious existential crisis, but yes. it wouldn't matter because I would be, be pre-programmed. Right. And they would know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but that's, that's scary though. See, now that would make my world implode. You're right. If, if that was like, oh, and by the way, we are we are we are psychically connected oh, by the way, to people. That miracle that you find. Yes, exactly. That voice that spoke to you, that feeling that you had, the vision you had, the dream you had. Yeah, we, yeah, we're doing all that stuff. Yeah, oh, that was really crap. Did that? That voice that sounded like you know, <laughs> hey Ralph, come over here. You wanna, <laughs> you know, you remember what you told Keith? You know, you know so yeah. What if yeah. all that was just you know curated really for Ralph. the entire God experience was curated for us? That you know, what I'm it's saying? really just Bob. That would be terrifying, to be honest. So that like, y'all, y'all the ones started down this road. Now, if we can't make it out the matrix after this podcast, it's y'all fault. You know what I mean? That's the kind of alien, <laughs> uh, the alien intervention I don't want. Yeah. I can't believe that I'm going to end up being the conservative theologian in this conversation. But what if we encounter aliens and discover that they have experienced the same abundantly loving God that we have? There you go. Yay! Yes. I love yes. that idea. I, I totally. I recognize that in some circles, that's the only acceptable answer, but I'm just putting it out there anyhow. It's possible yeah. it, until we meet the aliens. And we don't know. Right? That could be. That, that would, wouldn't that be amazing? If they were like, oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. You know, God, we call God this. And oh, yes, we have, we believe God is real. We believe that there are souls. And when we die, we go and can, uh, remain connected to the great spirit or whatever. Like that would be like, oh, hey, validate. Thanks for validating me. That'd be wonderful. 
What <laughs> if aliens all became evangelicals? Oh, no, that would oh, be horrible. Hell no. no, please no. <laughs> oh, yeah. hell no. Please, please. They converted, they see the light, there's an altar call, and every alien comes forward. Ugh, that would suck. <laughs> I do want to give a shout out to, no, I want to give a shout out to Matt, who's pointing out that, yes, there would be alien mystics, and I'm now fantasizing about a Howard Thurman on every planet, so yeah. Or Teresa of Andromeda, as yes. Matt suggested, yes. Teresa of Andromeda. I want to read that. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what, what? And you said, like, you know, what if, what Shana said, what if he, they met him and he was this, or he, she, they were this wonderful being. What if they, they, they came here and they had a conference, you know, an intergalactic conference with us and be like, hey guys. So we've been watching this for a couple of thousand years and we just have to say, we have no idea how you got it so wrong about mm. God. Mm. How did you get that so wrong? Mm-hmm. Where did hell come from? Yes. Where did the fire and brim? Where did the judgment come from? Where did the condemnation come from? Where did this idea yeah. that somebody died for you and shit? None of this. Yep. Where did you get this from? How yep. did you get this so wrong? You know, what yes. if the aliens can be like, look, we just got to school you on some stuff because you guys have got this so completely wrong. God is just a force of love that you came yes. from. And when you leave from here, you return to it. I don't know all this other stuff that y'all put filled in the, in the middle between the beginning and the end. We don't know where you got it from, but we just want to help you again because that time we curated you, this is like 2.0, humans 2.0. And we just need to help y'all along mm-hmm. a little bit. What if that was the case? I like <laughs> it. I am sad that we are at this point in the show and we haven't had a chance to talk about alien sex, but I'm going to let it go. Sex! That was the one I was waiting for. <laughs> what about sex with aliens, man? We have no time. Y'all uh, just have to read the Xenogenesis series by Octavia Butler and have that fill in. Like everything else the aliens do, the sex just has to be well, better. No, let's talk about it in our bonus round. <laughs> aliens oh, don't have a bonus round. So patrons will have <laughs> access to our alien sex conversation. Okay, nice. good. If you're not a patron... You're missing out. You're missing. No alien sex for you. Ooh, yeah, baby. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to be missing, but you probably don't <laughs> want to miss it. But if you do... <laughs> I know exactly what everyone's going to be missing. <laughs> Conversation. Uh, I will put out there just as a little food for thought um, that I do find really interesting the idea that what if aliens are real, but they're not in our dimension? They're in a slightly different dimension. Because the interdimensional quantum, like at the quantum level, because that's stuff that I, I don't do it all the time. I think about it all the time. Uh, but I have had some encounters as, uh, with people who are more experienced in guiding me in this than I am, um, of like connecting with a, a like alien, otherworldly presences who are just not, they're probably not in our 3D universe. The way we communicate then is not through physical spaceships or radio waves, but through thought and energy. Oh, yeah. For the true woo out there, I lay it on your doorstep. Yeah. Uh, but, well, that's, we didn't, we don't have time to get into that. But I mean, yeah, I, that's part of the alien discussion too, is a lot, a lot of people who have had alien encounters, whatever, say they've encountered aliens, um, have said that aliens aren't from another planet in our universe, in our, in our galaxy, but, but are interdimensional beings. Um, and, and that's actually those UFOs we're seeing. The way they, the reason they break the laws of physics is that they're not from, uh, this universe. They're actually our interdimensional things. So I think that's at least a plausible possibility. 
So my closest connection with alien life is when Katie and I drove across country and we stopped and visited Area 51. Oh, and- Roswell. Yes. Roswell. Yeah, Roswell. 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 Yes, well, in New Mexico. Yes, in New Mexico, my bad. And we forgot to fill up the gas tank and we nearly got scary. lost in the middle of the desert and right. it was terrifying and I don't think I've prayed that hard in my entire life. <laughs> we, were, um, we were about to be a new story. And yeah, legitimately, like I find, my, I found myself thinking, if aliens were real, why are they not helping us right now? Um, but now we did end up making it to the one gas station. We did. So they the did. They did help like, you. On, yeah. And it so was now on that June, I realize they're right. on another de- definite. Yeah. Now that I realize they're in another dimension, that might yeah, explain why even work. though we had zero gas, we got to the gas station. Word, y'all. When traveling in the Southwest, there's a lot of towns on the map that don't exist. That is mm. true. <laughs> <laughs> we passed one of those towns where there was a closed gas station. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I yeah. personally believe that experience was curated for you by the Intergalactic Theological Seminary brought to you by the aliens uh, that uh, thought that it would be uh, entertaining to watch you pray and then answer that prayer for you by letting you make it to the gas station on fumes and faith that they caused fumes. you to have. So anyways, listen... <laughs> I hope y'all have enjoyed uh, <laughs> what probably was an entire Stone Fox episode <laughs> of uh, the Heretic Happy Hour. Hopefully you're feeling um, lost, confused, settled, grounded, and con- you know confident in your existence right now based on everything that we've been talking about. Um, but I want you to go over to heretichappyhour.com and check us out. There's so much fun things to do over there, like listen, buy a t-shirt, buy a book at a discount, take a quiz, find out what kind of heretic you are and all other kind of stuff. So just go on over there and check us out. I want to give a shout out to Judy Kowalki Rice and anyone else to jump in my inbox and say you enjoy this show. I'd like to shout you out. Thank you for listening. Yeah. I'm not going to get over fumes and faith anytime soon. (laughs) Fumes and faith. That was the best. So we want to talk to you about fumes and faith. We want to know what what fumes you have driven on. And what faith, God, alien, uh, or atheist got you through. You can do that on our collective, wonderful Facebook group, Heresy After Hours. So we're a nice, we're a nice collective of intergalactic beings, uh, who talk about all things deconstruction and your journey. You're going to have lots of friends. So free Facebook group, just Google or go into the Facebook search bar, Heresy After Hours. Um, yes. And by the way, you just want to stop and say all of you who support us on Patreon, who are about to be, have your minds blown with the bonus episode <laughs> we're going to record about alien sex. Thank you for your support. We really, really appreciate it so much. It means a lot to us. And if you don't support us yet, um, you can fix that by going to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour, sign up to support your favorite, uh, podcast and unlock just a plethora of amazing, just incredible content. Uh, available just for you, including access to the super secret Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group. So go check it out. I usually mention how you should rate and review us on iTunes so that people like you can find people like us. But I also want to mention that December and I would love for you to take some time to write some reviews on iTunes so that Keith, Keith, Matt, and Katie know that it was worth bringing us on the team. So write your reviews about how amazing we are and how amazing the whole team is. Um, It makes a big difference for our egos. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good idea. Good point. Look, we already know we made the right decision. Are you kidding? <laughs> if only for the line fumes and faith. No disrespect to, to prior co-hosts, but this is it. We hit the sweet spot. This, you guys, this is perfect.